Hello and welcome to another episode of Fiction Hack. Uh, my name is Colin Monroe and this is my co-host Ross Lawhead. Hello. So Ross, do you want to tell us what we're talking about this week? Yeah, so uh, we're, we're recording this on a Tuesday and we just got word yesterday that Stan Lee died. Um, and uh, we'd recently done a episode about Steve Ditko, who was one of his uh, co author, co-collaborator on uh, Spider-Man, among others, and so we thought it was only uh, fitting and right to do a, a Stanley uh, special episode. We were going to do another Nano episode, but um, we'll give everybody a break from that and yeah, uh, it's talk proving about Stan the Man Lee. What, what with all the um, Halloween episodes and the NaNoWriMo episodes, yeah. and we're still trying to get all these Doctor Who episodes out, and now... And now Stan Lee passing away. It's proving to be a difficult, a, a busy November for us. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that's true, all good. True, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah. So, so where do we start? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> it's. I mean, it's hard to to know with Stan Lee. Um, he was just such an influential figure. I mean, we can start with the facts. Um, he was uh, born in 1922, and uh, he was influential in kind of shaping uh the modern the modern superhero the modern comic book really um and that kind of happened in the middle of his life uh when uh he he really kind of um became an influence um and uh i mean we can we can't really talk about one without the other talking about stanley and talking about the history of comic books mm. as i i love to talk about the history of comic books uh, and stanley but um yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I guess uh, we can assume that everybody already knows the facts. Uh, we'll just talk about more kind of what um, he, he gave kind of creatively to the world, essentially. Yeah. And say that um, before uh, he created the Fantastic Four in 1961, uh, superheroes were very uh, two-dimensional um, in the best, best case scenario. Mm. Um they had gone on hard times during the 30s uh, with um, there was actually a Senate hearing into whether comic books were destroying, uh, you know, the nation's youth and <laughs> whether they should be allowed and all of that kind of thing. It's the same kind of scare that you get with video games every once in a while with violent yeah. movies, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's people were video a little bit nasties, concerned. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And if you look at some of the stuff that was being put out at that point, um, everybody points to the EC horror comics, um, and rightly so. It, it was pretty pretty out there stuff. Um, and, uh, I mean, although it's probably not, I don't think it's inappropriate in a comic book, it probably is inappropriate for for a kid's comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there wasn't really any kind of uh, policing going on with, you know, how these were being sold and who was reading them. So, you know, a kid could walk in and, you know, instead of like today where a child, you know, a 15-year-old wouldn't be able to purchase uh, um, an 18 movie. I know because I've tried. Uh, in the same way, you know, <laughs> I mean, counter to that, you know, a kid could, you know, go in, give a nickel for a comic book, a horror comic book, and walk away with something that showed people's eyes being gouged out and all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, I mean, there was a little bit of legitimate uh, reason uh, for these concerns. But yeah. the, the um, I mean, the, the downshot of it all was that... Um, Comic, uh, the comic book medium got all of its teeth pulled out. Essentially, um, the the publishers uh, didn't want the heat of um, you know all of this uh, controversy and ire. So they they kind of started to police themselves and create something mm. called the Comics uh, Code Authority, which we'll come back to a little bit later, uh, as as a way of saying 
you know, we, we've gone through these comics, and we were talking about the the rating systems in our Spider-Man um, in movies episode. Um, but they kind of said, you know, we're not going to talk about these things. We're not going to show anything to do with drugs. You can't show anything to do with with all this. Um, I don't think there were any kind of real. I mean, yeah, there. I guess overt violence. Um, what was kind of, you know, fr you know, you couldn't do that. Um, uh, and so you would get a lot of stuff, you know, Superman using heat vision or his cold breath or something like that. Um, mm. Every once in a while, you know, a character would take a whack at somebody, but um, that that was the that was the most it, it really went to. Um, so, but this was like I say, it was a self policing. There there wasn't actually a kind of a government body that was a censorship organization that was looking at all, all this stuff. Mm. Um, and so you got all these kind of very clean cut uh, heroes uh, doing just kind of kind of humdrum kind of mysteries that you know comic books are very kind of episodic um and so you know you get one superman comic you know and you could miss a few months and then get another one and it it wouldn't really matter um yeah and uh there there was a, a resurgence just before um stanley created the fantastic four everybody talks about the marvel age um mm. as a kind of a sit-in for the, the silver age but really i think to you know to give everybody their due uh, we have to talk about julie schwartz who was at dc so uh he was looking at uh superman batman the flash uh wonder woman all these people and he he kind of kicked off uh a kind of a rebirth, uh, a little mini one. And he created a title called the justice league. He said, well, let's just mm. have all of our best superheroes together and, uh, we'll, you know, do a, do a story about that. Uh, he also came up with some new kind of, you know, new costumes, new characters, uh, based on some of the older characters, uh, and really created the superhero look as we know it now. Um, mm. But still, it was very kind of, I, I'd say it's still fair to say it was quite two-dimensional in the respect that, you know, Superman, there was never any kind of downside or, or weakness to these heroes. They had their kind of kryptonite or their, you know, their yellow objects in the case of Green Lantern. But by and large, you know, Superman, he was a reporter. He was he was doing all right. Batman, of course, is a millionaire. Um, the Flash was a... Uh, uh, police forensic and you know detective and uh, Hal Jordan the yeah. Green Lantern was a fighter pilot so they're they're but all the very kind didn't of go clean cut in other words exactly yeah and yeah. this is what uh, Stan Lee really brought to the mm. table uh, in okay. terms of of writing uh, because after the success of the Justice League comic book um, his publisher uh, Martin Goodman. Uh, who at Marvel was called Timely Comics at that time, uh, said to Stan Lee, who had been around the offices for quite a time, uh, he had been uh, kind of just doing a lot of odd jobs um, with with a view to writing. He, did, he wanted to be a writer, a serious writer, but he was just kind of working at this uh, comic uh, company that was owned by a, um, his uh, cousin's husband. And... Uh, was showing that he had a really good head for for editorial and creative side things and uh, even um, in the early days just with the look of things he was an artistic director i think was one of his early roles um he was just kind of knocking around just you know was enthusiastic you know in this very um you know moribund kind of uh, art form you know nobody was really buying comics at that time because there, mm. there wasn't any point really um i remember he said him, to him saying that he mm. was you know in the early days he was almost ashamed to say that he was a comic book artist so he would a say writer, yeah 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 comic book writer he would say yeah. what was it he said i think he just said he was a he was a writer uh he would never say 
yeah. what, what he well, wrote. Well, Stan Lee wasn't his real name. His real name was Stan Lee Lieber. And uh, mm. he, he signed his name Stan Lee because he wanted to have a, still a serious career under his own name. Uh, but then when his Stan Lee persona took off, he, he legally changed it. Mm. Um, so he, he jumped on board, you know, once everything got, got kicking. And it's, it's not just, you know, an opportunist move because uh, he, he did have, you know, some, some, some artistic integrity because, uh, yeah, the, like I say, the publisher, Martin Goodman, said, well, look, let's do a team book because Justice League is doing really well. Let's get mm -hmm. some of those sales. And uh, instead of just kind of cobbling together um, the superheroes that they had lying around because they didn't have any. At that time, uh, Timely was producing mostly westerns and romances, um, a couple of monster books as well, which are kind of a holdover from the horror books, except, you know, monsters and aliens are a little bit more uh, clean cut. You, can't, you don't have to show as much gore. But yeah, so uh, Stan Lee said, well, yeah, okay, I, I guess. And uh, he went and talked about this to his wife, and his wife said, you know, look, just, you know, do what you think a superhero comic should be you know like you're, you're about to leave this dying industry anyway just you know give it your mm -hmm. best shot you know what what you think it should be like and he said okay and he, he ran with that and he he made the fantastic four so that was the first of what they call the the marvel age comics and uh it's the fantastic four as we know them now it's reed richards sue storm uh johnny storm and ben Grimm. and i mean on the face of it they looked kind of um i mean they were still superheroes uh, he, he was trying to veer away a little bit from that. It, it wasn't until later that they got their actual uniforms, but mm. they were kind of adventurers. But they, they did have um, this extra dimension to them in that they weren't so you know, clean cut and they weren't, you know, they did have kind of personal difficulties and uh, they had arguments with each other. Um, mm -hmm. Ben Grimm obviously was kind of a tragic figure because he was, you know, hideously disformed. Uh, Johnny Storm was just, you know, kind of, he was a, he's a teenager, a kid who didn't have a lot of responsibility. He just wanted to hang out in auto shops and talk to girls a lot. Um, you know, Reed Richards was quite withdrawn. Um, they, these are, I mean, they were nuances. They didn't really hit them very heavily. But uh, I think in the context of what else was being produced, it, it was quite a profound difference to, you know, you open up the comic book and, um, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Fantastic Four. As I say, I've, I've been blogging through all the early issues. Mm. Uh, Stan Lee wrote uh, Fantastic Four up until issue 125, I think, uh, maybe a little further. And then he'd, you know, come back every once in a wow. while. But, you know, you'd open up a comic book and it wouldn't be some big kind of dramatic uh, splash page that you see sometimes it would be just you know ben Grimm sitting on the couch and he's bored you know the mm -hmm. idea that superheroes could get bored you know just with their day-to-day -day life is yeah. something kind of new to the table and even now it's it's kind of a, a novel idea uh and this is this is what um this is what he started to kick off and then you know once that got rolling then you know the sky was, the sky was the limit um and we were talking with the steve ditko episode just about how uh, his method of collaborating with other artists yeah um it seems very hands-off to us now um but i think that there's a i, I still make the, the case in defense of, of stanley in saying that when you are in a, a real kind of collaborative process um it's really hard to say you know whose ideas are whose and yeah, i think people really like is. to say you know well you know steve ditko came up with 90 percent of spider-man stan lee did 10 percent. i've actually seen that somewhere probably in in some of uh, steve ditko's uh, own stuff mm -hmm. um says well yeah all stan did was just come up with the idea well let's have a guy called spider-man um but here's the thing is like that's actually quite a profound 
thing to say. And the thing is, is like, well, you know, would you have come up with the other 90%, you know, just you yeah. know, for the sake of argument, if you didn't have that 10% to kick you off? Mm. Um, and I've, you know, I've worked with, um, well, I worked with my dad in a collaborative project, the, the hero book. And like, yeah, I, I honestly couldn't tell you, you know, whose ideas were whose at what point. And I, I would say, yeah, hand to God, like, you know, there are ideas I would not have come up with if, you know, my dad hadn't, you know, put together, put forward other ideas. Yeah, so exactly. Um, the ideas are like bricks in a wall. You mm -hmm. can't, you can't lay one layer until the layer below is lay, laid and, you know, everything, mm -hmm. everything builds upon it, right? Exactly, exactly. That's so, what it feels like as well, you yeah. know. Um, I remember, yeah, for the first, for our first hero book, we got to this uh, really strong ending, I felt, um, just because, uh, yeah, he had one idea, and I was like, "Oh, that's great! We could, you know, do this as well." And he said, "Oh, yeah, that's perfect because we could tie in this, and you know, you know, back mm. in chapter thirteen, and so it was just stacking on on top of each other." And yeah, I think you know, from from what you know, the the accounts were of the Marvel offices at that time. That's exactly what was happening with Stanley and all the different uh, collaborators and creators mm. of the early Marvel comics. Is that people would come into his office, they'd you know have a little meeting, and you know, out of that would come a little. Uh, what we call a plot breakdown now that the artist would go away and you know write from um you know as, as things you know kind of went further and there were there were more people and you know stanley was getting you know more spread there'd be phone calls and all that kind of thing and i don't want to also diminish the role that you know these other uh mostly artists had in you know creating these creations as well but um yeah that's this is all just to say that you know to, to people who aren't kind of familiar with with the creative collaboration like that um it can look like stanley is trying to take a lot of credit for for a lot of things that other people had a very large part in mm. um but i i think that you, you can't really separate out at that point and there there is an equal measure and also the, the fact that stanley did add this kind of um you know very human layer to all of these heroes the superheroes yeah um, th that so, is a, so a hugely just profound thing to interrupt sorry to interrupt yeah. Cor correct me if i'm wrong but is it a little bit like you know, now, or let's take a TV show like Doctor Who. You've mm -hmm. got each episode's got an individual director and individual writers, or maybe mm -hmm. a team of writers and individual director. But then there's also a showrunner. So mm -hmm. Stanley was more like the showrunner. He yeah. had less less of a hands-on um, involvement in each individual issue going forward. But and there were other people that maybe could point point to more of their own ideas in, in an individual issue. But if you take the whole thing as a whole, the whole character as a whole, this whole story mm -hmm. arc as a whole, then that's where Stanley's influence is, is is more obvious. Is that is that 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 was the case later on. Uh, right. in, in the beginning he, he was writing these comics. And you yeah. know, I, yeah. I, I keep saying that, you know, the the you know artist would take away the the panel the plots and then use them then he would come back in and script the the balloons you know on top yeah. of the panels and stuff so uh he, he it was a, a roundabout way of working um and it, it was something that uh had been done before um it, it was not you know uncommon uh but it became known as the marvel method and mm -hmm. uh it's it's not used that way much anymore um but yeah no i see what you're saying uh, that that role does exist in comics as a kind of editor or editor-in-chief um mm. they're the ones who do steer uh the direction of the stories and make sure that everything is is on book as it were um and and you know also integrated with all the rest of the comics and then the editor-in-chief is you know responsible for you know just making sure that you know all of the comics feel like a marvel comic but yeah. um yeah up until like the 90s when i started reading comics um 
when uh, Stanley was a was a publisher was the publisher of um, Marvel, um, everything said you know all the stories said Stanley presents you mm. know the Fantastic Four in you know Monster Mayhem you know issue you know three hundred and sixty four or whatever, um, so and that's kind of a credit to to what Stanley kind of. The, the other side of his his professional work for Marvel was basically kind of a promoter, and uh, when it became apparent that it wasn't just kids who were reading these comics, it was um, teenagers as well, and then also kind of uh, college students. Uh, mm -hmm. He would go around to college campuses and put in an appearance, and you know, there there was I think Harvard had uh, kind of adopted the Incredible Hulk in the early days uh, as their kind of unofficial mascot you know there's a student mm. group that you know said hey we're we you know we love the hulk you know he's a scientist but yeah. you know, he's cursed with this kind of <laughs> uh mr jekyll and Doc dr jekyll and mr hyde kind of uh kind of effect um yeah. and uh yeah so they were fans and so yeah and then when conventions started happening then he he would show up and and really kind of push push people um there you know he was very present in the comics uh not just in the ones that he wrote but um, every issue every month would have uh, a bullpen bulletins it was called um, mm. because I think it used to be a, a rule that if you were going to you could publish comics but technically they were magazines um, in the mm -hmm. early days um, even the Fantastic Four is the world's greatest comic magazine and it was something right. to do with um, some I don't know if it's a law or, or some sort mm -hmm. of tax thing but like uh, comic books weren't comic books; they were technically magazines. But to qualify as a magazine, you had to have at least two pages of text, of, of print words, essentially. And so, Com uh, combined in the whole thing, or combined in the whole thing. So, a, a comic right. book you're looking at is 32 pages. You want about 10 pages for advertisements. Mm -hmm. So, and then you kind of knock out another two pages for this original text, and then you're left with 20 pages of story. So, in the early comic books, you get 20, um, sometimes 22 uh, pages stories. Uh, but then you would get usually they'd uh, fill it up with a letters column. So you mm -hmm. know they just kind of say, well, you know, here's here's what our readers think and stuff. Um, but then you know as as it as it went on, they did uh, one page for letters, and then one page was called the bullpen bulletins, and then they had a little column called Stan Soapbox. And mm -hmm. I think in the early days, Stan probably wrote the the bullpen bulletins. But then as it as it went on, sort of in the you know 70s and, and stuff. 70s and 80s, uh, he he would just kind of chime in with his his little column uh, every every week, really, uh, for for all of the Marvel comics in the line, and uh, yeah, those those would you know be musings on kind of you know just the the industry or art or or whatever. Um, people have been posting more and more of those now that uh, he's died, kind of in memory of him, and they talk about you know about racism or you know acceptance and tolerance and mm -hmm. uh, escapism and how these things are important, and so. Uh, yeah, and this is kind of the the other aspect I, I would say that Stanley is responsible for is um, is in kind of yeah you know, creating and developing uh, still a very strong moral code uh, for superheroes, which I guess you know it's it's still there in kind of Superman and Batman, you know, truth, justice, and the American way and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, um, and you can see this in literature, that morality kind of tends to go by the wayside when you do start introducing kind of complex morally complex characters um and uh i think it's it's a credit to stan lee that you know while he was you know writing uh about you know spider-man you know peter parker he's a teenager nothing goes his way he's so unlucky or daredevil you know he's got these you know incredible acrobatic powers um he, he 
he has no fear, but he's he's blind. You know, he's handicapped. Um, and we talked about the Incredible Hulk. You know, just about oh, you know, Thor in the early days, not that anymore. But yeah, he was uh, he was a doctor um, who had to walk around on a stick. You know, he was this powerful superhero, but uh, his. Uh, he would physically change into uh, someone who was, you know, physically very weak. Um, so yeah, they once you kind of spot, you know, what he did, uh, you can say, well, that's that's pretty easy to do. But I think there was another angle going on. And as you were saying, you know, he although he didn't have a hand in writing every single issue. Um, he did have a you know a hand in kind of saying, well, this is what we want Marvel to be. This is what the stories we want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, so you know, Spider Man. You know, it frequently gets you know the the short end of the stick on a lot of things, um, but he always does what's right. You know, he's um, is a, a morality which you know I, I tweeted this earlier. It's a morality based on uh, self sacrifice and hope, really, um, which is a it's a good thing to to give to children. You know, we were talking uh, a little bit about I can't remember. Oh, it was the truth and fiction episode, just kind of about well, just because you know an entertainment form is cheap or it's you know it's fast, it's kind of uh, it, it could be junk food, you know, we, mm. we don't want it to be junk food. We need it to be healthy, even though it is something that we may not pay much attention to. You know, it's not a profound piece of art that we pour over. It's just something we do to entertain us. But there's still a yeah. call for that, for that strong, for that deeper uh, truth, yeah. deeper truth. Exactly. And I think that's, that's something else that he kind of uh, brought to the mix. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so I mean, but then in, in uh, kind of, yeah, during the 70s, he kind of tapered off from the actual kind of creative process. Uh, he found people, I think, that he could trust with the characters. And, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they're the Roy Thomases, the uh, uh, Marv Wolfmans. There's, you know, if, you, if you're into you know, comics in the 70s, you recognize all the names. And, you know, very good people. I like Roy Thomas, uh, especially myself. Um, he, he did some early Fantastic Four stuff and uh, hit the right note a lot of times. Um, oh wait, no. We should go back and and talk about stuff um, like the Black Panther because he in, he invented the Black Panther. That was one of his co creations with Jack Kirby. Um, mm-hmm. As someone who wasn't kind of a, a token black character, yeah, uh, which I think would have been the temptation, but mm-hmm. someone who was uh, powerful in his own right and also you know came from this very uh, rich society. The uh, first appearance of black panther in fantastic four um i think it's 53 issue 53 54 um is pretty much like you see it in the movies um it's Mm -hmm. it's not i mean just the art is is changed slightly just because it's a different time um but yeah it it was someone who you know they're just kind of you know we are talking you know early 60s here 64 65 probably um where there was still a lot of um inherent racism in america there's still a lot yeah. here today yeah, uh, yeah there's a huge amount now um, things have changed a lot since the 60s they have um so yeah uh, yeah in, in a lot of ways um some some good some bad and i think it's a lot of things are still stay the same and i think mm. you know that's evidenced by the fact that the the movie black panther created probably as much as a splash today in today's climate as you know the character did back then um he wasn't hugely popular he didn't get his own uh, series um it's it's been kind of on and off for for black panther but mm. um it's still still an important um important part of the marvel universe yeah and, and that's uh, one that you said you wanted to do an episode on and we haven't done that one yet so. did i do that yeah yeah, I'd, so. I'd do a, I'd do an episode on every Marvel character if I could, but yeah, we, we can we can save some more thoughts for for that if you want. Yeah, I think it's because um, when we started the podcast, it was around about the time the movie had just come out, so mm-hmm. uh, we never yeah, got around yeah. to that. But we well, when we should. finish Doctor Who, maybe we should do like a Marvel Universe kind of 
uh, progressive kind of series. But um, yeah, in any case, uh, yeah. So okay, to, to pick up where I, where I left off. Um, so yeah, in the seventies, he, he kind of w took more of the promoter kind of role, and uh, see, I, uh, so many people have been sharing kind of their, their first time where they came into contact with kind of just the personality of Stanley, not even just meeting him. But I remember getting a book. Uh, uh, called Marvel Five Fabulous Decades of the World's Greatest Comics. And he had written the foreword to that, as he did in just about every other Marvel book. Um, and uh, he, he made, in it, he made a case for uh, comic books being one word. I remember that. And mm. I've continued to, um, in defiance of my spell check, I've continued to write mm -hmm. comic book as one word since then, just because of the case he makes for it. Um, and yeah, he, he kind of had to, I don't know, he's just full of just kind of homely, not homely wisdom, but just kind of, you know, clear thinking in, in a lot of you know artistic areas but then you know he still had a perspective on what he was doing was entertainment um, yeah, so, so what is the gist of his, the case he makes for that being one word being one oh word. right i mean just because um it, it is its own thing to itself uh, it is you know to use the word comic as a modifier for book doesn't mm. give you any more clarity it's not, it's on not, what it actually it's not is. a funny book exactly yeah that's exactly <laughs> yeah. the point he makes right. um and then you know he also talks about other things about you know the origin of the superhero costume which uh, people are still trying to figure out well wh why are they all dressed in tights when did that start <laughs> uh, nobody knows it just was always there from the beginning um you know, some people say well you know it's, it's greek myth some people say well it's circus you know strongmen and other people say well it's just easy to draw and it might be yeah. all of those reasons but um yeah, so anyway, he, he had an early crack at that. But um, yeah, still people would you know recognize you know him and his voice. Um, you know, even if you weren't into comic books, if, even if you're just you know a kid kind of during the the eighties and nineties, you know his voice would be in video games. It'd be on cartoons. You know, he he pops up in the movies. And I think mm. yeah, Stan Lee does exist as a as a cultural entity, a cultural character. Um, yeah, because he does because... have his, his cameos in in all of the recent yeah. Marvel movies. But mm -hmm. his cameos go back way bef way before that, don't they? They go back to um, the TV. Well, it's every TV Marvel movie, and... essentially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think yeah. it, I think it started to be. I mean, because yeah, I, I grew up with it. Um, it. It was odd. I think that Stanley wasn't in X Men. I, I remember thinking that at the time because he was in mm -hmm. most of the other ones, and I think that may have been a conscious choice that they were trying to distance, distance X Men from kind of the the superhero stuff which had gone before, which was you know fine, of course. Um, I remember. Uh, spotting him in uh, the trial of the Incredible Hulk, which was a TV movie with the uh, uh, the Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno um, TV series, and uh, I, I thought I was quite clever because you know mm. I actually recognized Stan Lee, whereas you know, who else knew what he looked like at that point? <laughs> um, but yeah, and in the Spider-Man movies, he was in uh, cameos in those Fantastic Four movies. He was, he had cameos. Uh, he had a speaking part in I think the second um, Fantastic Four movie. The Rise of the Silver Surfer. He was a mailman or something, um, mm -hmm. who is a character in the Fantasy Four, Willie Lumpkin. But uh, yeah, in any case, you know they, they've they've kept up that, and uh, I think there was uh, word a few years ago that um, I don't know if it was James Gunn uh, had had filmed a whole bunch of cameos, so that he was, you know, they've got the next five movies of, of Stan Lee cameos uh, kind of in the can. But really? I wonder if they'll actually use those. Well, I think it was more. It wasn't that they were anticipating him dying. I think it was just that it was uh, easier for him. He wanted yeah, to it was show it the physical to toll. And, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it was taking on him. And and fair enough because yeah, if if you've seen any kind of, um, I mean, I follow Stanley on Twitter, and um, there there was a bit of a kerfuffle a little while ago when it came apparent that he wasn't actually uh, using. Uh, twitter himself <laughs> he mm. didn't know that this person was posting as him um oh, right. 
but um, yeah, it, it was clear that he he had kind of lost lost a lot of. Um, well, he was just getting old, you know. Yeah, I mean, how um, old was he? he uh, so he was born in 1922. Yeah, so he was 95. So he's, yeah. Uh, so it's getting on. I mean, that's that's a good. It's, on. it's a good. It's age. a good innings. Yeah, it's a yeah. good innings. But um, yeah. So um, anyway, and I mean, I don't know. There, what, what else do you want to know about? Because I mean, there have been kind of stories of um, kind of him kind of steamrolling people and um, being kind of too too much the business side of things and uh, treating creators unfairly, and um, I, I don't feel qualified to weigh in on that, even though I've kind of i've heard a lot and um yeah it, it this probably isn't the right episode for that probably not the right episode but i i think i, I don't know I, I i think a lot of that is just that he was a big personality um he yeah. was probably the biggest personality anybody really kind of knew and uh i think that's just kind of a natural consequence uh, of of a personality like that and you know he but in in so many people have also been kind of posting creators and you know artists and editors and writers you know all of their uh kind of run-ins with stanley and although there may have been kind of bad moments um everybody's mm. got a good moment with with stanley at least one or, or two whenever they came into contact with him he seemed a very generous person um very giving and he, he did keep coming back to writing every once in a while um he went over uh dc asked him to reimagine uh, some of their main characters um in oh, the really? early 2000s and so he had yeah stanley superman you know for for a couple issues um and you know he co-wrote those with a couple other writers and mm. the other writers said that you know they expected him to just come in and, and be kind of either hands off or be be very kind of you know dictatorial but in, instead he was you know very again very collaborative he, he sort mm. of brought ideas to the table and but you know still asked for ideas and said hey that's cool we could do that and then you know do this so yeah he, he still had very much of the collaborative spirit even towards the end of his life uh, when mm. he was working on it so and what was yeah. the last so what was the last thing that he actually had a real kind of creative input into uh, it's hard to say um uh i mean because even like we were saying, you know, even when he was writing, you know, it, it was it's still kind of, yeah, it, because it's so collaborative. It's like, well, well, what did he write? Uh, he <laughs> he did a TV show here in America, which I never saw, called uh, "Who Wants to Be a Superhero," and it was kind of a, a survivor kind of thing where uh, people get voted off, um, but they have to do these kind of physical feats and tasks and stuff. Well, um, real people like a game show. Yeah, or... yeah, it was, it was real people like a game show. Um, Okay. And he he was because he was kind of try, always trying to move uh, into new media uh, yeah. with his, his creations and, and all that. So he had a few different uh, companies that he, he started up, and I, I was always surprised when uh, you know he would pop up as the front man for for new for a new entertainment group. Um, but it, it was all about just kind of expanding the line, expanding the brand and the franchise, and just even mm. the idea of superheroes because uh, he wasn't uh, attached to Marvel, hasn't been for the last. Uh, I don't know, maybe 20 years, almost 20 years. Mm. Um, That's interesting you, you know, say that because of, yeah. in a way he is. Like, you yeah. can't really think of Marvel without Stan Lee. Exactly, yeah. But, 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 so he, but, his, but professionally, they're there. He's well, I mean, he just moved on for twenty yeah. years. Yeah, he yeah. he just wanted to do kind of his own things, and I, I think yeah, it's uh, Marvel obviously has been doing you know, and I guess well Marvel's last few changed years. hands as well. Uh, uh, it has got taken yeah. over by Disney and. Yeah, was there's that ever, as well. Was yeah. he ever a shareholder at all, or, or I mean, well, well, I mean, not I mean, significantly, well, or in, in Marvel, or was he just? A, was um, he, just he didn't. A he, he did actually. Um, he let's see. He was president for about a year, 
but found it was too just kind of uh, numbers and, and figures and kind of finances and stuff. And it it wasn't really what he kind of in, enjoyed about the process, which mm. was, you know, just kind of, yeah, be, being more about the actual work itself. Right. Um, I think so he, 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 he was, away a, from he was a workhorse. He stepped away, from, he stepped down from that and, and came, went back to being a publisher, uh, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the, the position that... Um, you know, his, his uh, friend Martin Goodman had uh, for a long time before that. Um, yeah, but it, that was just to be closer to the to the the creative process and stuff. Um, and then, as I say, you know, he, he kind of uh, stepped down from that. Um, yeah, I think it, it did. It's probably around the time where where Toy Biz um, uh, bought it out. The toy manufacturer called Toy Biz, mm-hmm. and uh, then yeah, Marvel kind of went on the rocks a little bit after that. But he was still very much the the figurehead of of the company in a very informal way. Um, and uh, yeah, then then things got got better, and then Marvel Studios and Disney happened, and, and mm-hmm. it's just gone from strength to strength. Um, so although he didn't have a lot to do with with that side of things, um, or you know anything at all, in fact, um, obviously you know cameos. he was in the he was in the cameos. Uh, He's still very well thought of, and everybody yeah. still sees him as kind of the creative godfather of uh, the Marvel Age of Comics, which mm. you know arguably we may still be in. So yeah. So do you think he'll have? We'll see one of his cameos in the next Marvel movie, or do you think they'll? Because what it was it in the uh, the last, last Ghostbusters, all of the old, in the Ghostbusters reboot, oh, yeah. all of uh-huh. the original Ghostbusters had a cameo, even the one who died, they they had like a bust in the university. Oh really, that, Harold Ramis? That oh. uh, yeah, did you not really like to see that? I didn't, I didn't notice that one. No, I. I... Yeah, I caught all the others. Yeah, mm. um, who knows? I mean, yeah, maybe they'll do something was like Ghostbusters that. stronger got, for all those cameos? Like but got, yeah, I, yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Because um, I mean, obviously, Captain Marvel is the one that's coming out next, and that would have already been cut and edited by this point. So or, he would have already done. His I imagine, cameo yeah. It... But yeah, whether they'll keep that in or not, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. But um, mm. yeah, either way, yeah, I, I think he probably would have wanted the cameo in there. Yeah, for my two yeah. cents, not that I knew him personally, but you know, mm-hmm. uh, he was he was that kind of guy who always just wanted to be out there, and um, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, there's there's probably a lot more I can say about Stanley, but um, that's uh, that's that's kind of what I, I value, and I think that's um, still something which I kind of look for in comic books. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I do like still that morality, um, that kind of moral ring that that comes that I think yeah, Stanley you know, help to help to mint. So. Yeah, well, that's um, really interesting stuff. And I'm sure he will he will certainly be missed. It'd be interesting to see what happens to the world of comics mm-hmm. in the future. But uh, yeah. I think that's all we've got time for today. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, check out our newest episodes on our website, um, uh, which is fiction-hack.com. Um, and we also put these onto SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, uh, on the Fiction Hack um, fan page. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm Colin underscore Monroe. And Ross. I am mm-hmm. at Ross Lawhead, all one word. I've also got uh, Instagram, which is also at Ross Lawhead. And I've got a webpage as well, which you probably should just Google. Okay, and thanks to the Devlon Lamar organ trio who uh, performed the, the music at the beginning and end of these podcasts this Uh track is called between the mustard and the mayo and i found that on the free music archive we'll put the link in the show notes (laughs) when they go live i'm a little bit behind because of the nanowrimo but uh, i'll get caught up with those and get all those notes in there for everybody cool okay well uh 
Should we sign off? Yeah. Okay, everybody. Be excellent to each other.